Hello, everyone, and welcome to Yesterday's Heroes, episode 13, How Few Remain. Last time, we covered the life and career of Sergeant Wilmer Thomas III, culminating in his trial and sentencing in early 1974. Indeed, the early 1970s were a turbulent time for the GSA, and one that would ultimately cause the organization to unravel. Aside from a number of internal scandals, including covered-up murders, allegations of sexual misconduct, and the revelation that the Silver Eagle's brother-in-law, Josef Lanz, had defected to Nazi Germany back in 1943, well, America's superheroes were under external pressures as well. The most important of these external pressures was the infamous Gizmogel. As the KGB moved on from Operation Octopus, which had never really been especially focused or coordinated, at least on their part, an opening emerged in the supply chain of the criminal fraternity. So enter Leslie Kroc, a failed salesman from Connecticut who pivoted into a career of organized crime with the dream of creating his own anti-GSA, a legion of doom, if you would. He quickly became the supplier for most super criminals on the eastern seaboard. Now, the GSA and the Silver Eagle in particular were given increased authority to take down Gizmogul's organization. But this fight, referred to by some as the New York War, turned into a protracted struggle that spilled out throughout the entire tri-state area and resulted in dozens of deaths, and it even decommissioned Minuteman. And by the end of it, it was Croc's poor health and a disgruntled underling, Wallace Doherty, that took down Gizmogul. In other words, it was not the Silver Eagle that brought him to justice. So, after almost five years of frustration managing a failed effort against Gizmogul, something snapped in Derek. Before a GSA meeting in November 1975, the Silver Eagle beat the human shield unconscious, batted aside several crusaders, and disappeared into the night. He was found several days later on a farm in Oneida County, that same farm where he had worked following the end of the Diomedes program. And at that point, Lieutenant Derek Green tendered his resignation. In a brief farewell ceremony with President Ford, Derek made his last public appearance as the Silver Eagle. Citing poor health, he announced his intentions to a surprised American people and went on to commend the GSA's work. And he expressed hope that someday someone would take on the mantle. No one did, of course. And over the next few years, the GSA fizzled out. Most Sam vigilantes became police officers in what the literature calls the blue tide. And after sustaining a nasty leg injury in the fight against Gizmogul, Lawrence Hirsch, the Minuteman, retired from superheroics, married Lillian Boudreau, formerly the Canadian superheroine Pixie, and later passed away from cancer in 1994. Meanwhile, Brian Neal, the human shield, continued um, his particular brand of superheroics for a couple years before pivoting into a sort of traveling strongman routine. Right around this time, he also started shilling for a brand of supplements, um, Iron Brian Vitamins. He later died of a heart attack in 1988. As for Wilmer Thomas, he was pardoned by President Clinton in 1994 and lived in a suburb of Kansas City before dying of unspecified medical complications in 1998. As for Julian Shannon, the brains behind the GSA, he became a paranoid recluse later in life and one who hoarded a substantial amount of Nazi artwork until his death in 2001. He is currently survived by Julian Shannon Jr., the son he had with the late Candace Bergman, formerly the vigilante Crimson Cat. And while the Shannon estate still owns Rockbridge Media, Rockbridge Comics shut its doors in the late 70s as it was no longer financially viable. 
And despite all the talent involved, Rockbridge just never had the cultural or commercial cachet of DC or Marvel. So instead, they went the way of Charlton quality and prize comics. Sarah Zane and Levi Satlow, however, did continue to write and draw for the rest of their lives, and um, they passed away in 2018 and 2020, respectively. And as I mentioned before, really the only participant in this story who's still with us is April, the Silver Eagle songbird. And speaking of the Silver Eagle, after his psychotic episode in 1975, uh, Derek Green retired from public life. He returned to Utica, where he worked with the Utica Police Department in some professional capacity. And it was during his time with the Utica PD that he married a dead officer's widow. Um, the, the woman, her name was uh, Judy Deacon. And he married Miss Deacon because he wanted to make sure her three children would have a father. And interestingly, one of these stepchildren would one day become Congresswoman Mary Kessler. There were, of course, rumors that Derek did some off-the-books vigilantism at this time, but there is really nothing definitive, especially since for the rest of his life, he refused to engage with the press. I suppose the whole Lance affair had really left a bad taste in his mouth. And then, on July 24th, 1998, Lieutenant Derek Green, born Friedrich Wilhelm Grüner, passed away. The official cause of death? Metastatic pancreatic cancer. He had been the Silver Eagle, America's first superhero, for some 17 years. What, then, are we to make of Derek Green? Well, as you might imagine, there's no real consensus on the man. Plenty of people thought him a real-life superhero in every sense of the word. Strong, honorable, and brave. A champion of American values. Many went as far as to say that the Silver Eagle was a very literal angel, and a small, cultish little group even considered him the head god of a new pantheon. While others were less willing to throw around religious vocabulary, they did praise the Silver Eagle as a man. For indeed, he had many laudable qualities. He was an intelligent man with an excellent memory, and one who could readily quote from scripture, from Shakespeare, from the Greco-Roman classics, and, of course, from Golden Age comic books. He demonstrated a keen eye for talent, and his ingrained humility made him easy to work with and generally well-liked. He took his role as a civil servant and role model quite seriously. He donated a staggering amount of his time, money, and effort to many worthy causes, especially conservation and education. It's really no accident that we have Silver Eagle Park in Wyoming, or all those high schools with the Silver Eagle as their mascot. And for better or for worse, no one can deny that he took his religious faith very seriously. So these are the positive traits highlighted by the pro-Derek crowd, among them Congresswoman Kessler, biographer Paul Vanetti, and the late Levi Satlow. Of course, there are those who either heavily criticize him or outright despise him. In their view, he was a coward, a killer, an unvarnished bigot, and a Philistine. I personally find these criticisms overly harsh, but there are scant kernels of truth in them. While far from a coward, given how many times he risked life and limb, either in the Marines or as a superhero, Derek was almost constitutionally incapable of standing up to authority. While he possessed great physical courage, he was lacking sorely in political courage. And combined with his attested inability to rein in the excesses of his teammates, it becomes clear that the Silver Eagle struggled in his leadership role. Even Satlow commented that Derek made a far better follower than leader. 
As for the killer epithet, that really can't be disputed. During his time in the service and in costume, Derek killed people. And in his later conversations with Satlow, he regretfully admitted that, well, he thought none of them deserved it. As for his bigotries, he was a mixed bag. But by the standards of his time, Derek was something of a progressive on the issue of race, and at least in private, publicly, was a different matter, as we've discussed. As for his opinions on the LGBT community, whew, yeah, they were, uh, they were not pleasant. And finally, as for the charge of Philistinism, this comes from the fact that Derek was a bit of a goofball and a big fan of spectacle and what some might call low art. A related criticism was that he was basically an overgrown child, naive, short-tempered, and overly fond of sweets and practical jokes. Satlow agreed that Derek had some more whimsical qualities, but he seems to have found them endearing, as many others did. And Satlow, as well as uh, Paul Venetti, and again, I don't want to discount Paul Venetti at all. He's an excellent writer and absolutely vital in getting um, Derek Green's biography out there. It's easier sometimes to just say Satlow this, Satlow that, but um, Venetti did make a point of reminding readers that Derek was, for lack of a better term, very sick. Psychologists have diagnosed him with everything from generalized anxiety disorder to severe depression to combat PTSD. And those who knew him well were quite familiar with his shakes, his seeming inattentiveness, and his short temper. It really is a small miracle, then, that given everything he endured from such a young age, remember he was shipped off to Korea at age 16, it's a miracle that he lasted as long as he did as the Silver Eagle. And one can hardly blame him for not having grown up in a conventional sense. In this way, I suppose Derek Green reminds me a lot of the old Captain Marvel, a kid stuck in a superhero's body trying to do the right thing. Only here in the real world, things are a lot messier than they were in Fawcett comics. As you may have noticed, there will be no next time. For everyone who listened to the show, you are truly wonderful. This has been an interesting, occasionally frustrating, but certainly rewarding experience, and you made it all possible. So from the bottom of my heart, I hope you enjoyed the program, and thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.